0: Welcome back to the Perspectives on Policy podcast series from Elephant Policy Centre. I'm Chris. And I'm Tom. And in this episode, we're focusing on the generational divide in housing to start to look in a little more detail at the winners and losers resulting from house price rises.
1: So, what's this about a generational divide?
0: Well, the divide between those who own their own homes and those who don't often plays out along generational lines because many older people own swelling assets while many young people face high barriers to home ownership. We're hearing about generation rent, the young people who are living in the private rented sector or the parental home for longer periods of their lives because they can't access home ownership or social housing. Under 35s account for less than £6 in every £100 of equity held by owner-occupiers. But hang on a minute. Surely it's
1: perfectly normal and expected that older people are more likely to be homeowners. They've likely worked for longer and have had more time to save deposits and pay off their mortgages.
0: Absolutely, but the age gap has increased over time. In 1996, 54% of households led by a 16 to 34 year old were owner occupiers. But by 2016, that had fallen to 35%. So, we've seen an increase in renting, mostly in the private sector. of 16 to 34-year-old households rented privately in 2016, compared to just 21% in 1996. The proportion more than doubled in a decade.
1: So this is a recent thing?
0: No, it's not, but it's become more pronounced in the last two decades. British house prices have been rising faster than inflation for more than 50 years, but it's since the late 90s that we've seen the gap really begin to widen between those average prices and average earnings but it's by no means just millennials who are faring worse than their predecessors. Research by the Resolution Foundation found that every age cohort born from the 1950s onwards currently has less property wealth than the people who were the same age a decade earlier. Is that the case all over the country? As usual, there are regional differences. Research by estate agent Savills found that older households are most dominant in the southwest, where the over 65s own almost half of all homeowner equity. And the over 50s own 80%, while the under 35s account for just 4%. In London, though, over 50s account for 65% of homeowner equity, while the under 35s own
1: 11%. Does this mean young people are having to rely more heavily on their parents' wealth to get a foot on the housing ladder?
0: Yes. Social justice charity, the Equality Trust, reports that 25% of all homeowners, 32% of London homeowners, and 57% of the under-35s nationally received help from family and friends to buy the home they live in. And this reliance is on the increase. Insurer Legal and General reported in 2017 that the Bank of Mum and Dad was the 10th biggest mortgage lender in the country, with parents lending £6.5 billion in that year, 79% of which went to buyers who were 30 and under. And inheritance can play a part as well. The increasing homeownership rates over the last 40 years means in turn that more people stand to inherit property than in the past, even if those windfalls tend to arrive much later than the inheritors would like to become homeowners. The large cohort of new homeowners from the 1980s onwards are living even longer than we predicted so will not pass down their wealth for some time, and some are using up their wealth during their lifetimes through equity release. The distribution of inheritance does mirror the distribution of wealth more generally though as those in the middle are starting to benefit from inheritance for the first time. On the other hand, those at the bottom, who receive nothing, are falling further behind.
1: You mentioned the growth of equity release there, that some older people are selling part or all of their homes to help fund retirement, and presumably not all pensioners are homeowners in the first place. So does that muddy this picture of a
0: generational divide? That's right. There is a clear generational divide overall, but there are significant inequalities in housing wealth at older ages. More than 20% of the over-50s in England have got zero, or even negative, housing wealth. And no, housing wealth doesn't necessarily imply financial wealth either, which is why releasing equity or using property as part of an investment portfolio can be useful to mitigate poverty at older ages. Of course, owning a home makes a big difference to pensioners' living costs as well. They can be up to 45% lower than if they were rented.
1: Has equity release had an effect on pensioners' incomes then?
0: Now, it's debatable how important equity release is going to be in bolstering retirement incomes in our increasingly ageing population. The research director of think tank, the Pensions Policy Institute, has said that the uneven distribution of housing wealth suggests that only a minority of people will actually have enough housing equity to provide a reasonable stream of retirement income, and those people are likely to have private pension provision anyway, so they're less likely to need to access that equity. Now the overall picture of pensioner incomes has been improving markedly in recent years, The typical pensioner income has grown 10 times faster than working age income since the mid-2000s, and that's resulted in a falling pensioner poverty and pensioner inequality. We're actually seeing an unprecedented situation where typical pensioner incomes after housing costs are now higher than those of a typical working age household. We have to bear in mind though, there's been an increase in relatively young people who are still working but are classed as pensioners, which skews the figure somewhat. Most of the growth in pensioner incomes has been down to the seven-fold rise in private pensions since 1977, primarily from company schemes. While the state pension has also increased in real terms, those with private pensions have fared much better. In 2016, retired households that were receiving a private pension had disposable incomes that were around 1.6 times higher than households that were not. So yes, in short not all pensioners own housing wealth and some may need the equity and that obviously has an impact in turn on the young people who are reliant on parental help to buy a home. The fact remains though that 82% of the net growth in property wealth since the early 1990s has been driven by booming market prices rather than any kind of active savings behaviour. People have made win-for gains to the tune of £2.3 trillion on aggregate in real terms just for the mere fact that they owned a house at the right time. Would you just read this quotation from Professor Nick Gallant of University College London? For many already on the housing ladder,
1: this doesn't feel like much of a crisis. They sit back and watch the value of their property balloon, often earning more from their homes than from working. Good news if one forgets the social cost of all of this, and the deepening inequality between those who own their own homes and those who don't.
0: Right. In the early 2000s, these passive wealth effects were so large that in some years up to 17% of working age adults in homeowning families made more from their house than from their job. Those kinds of gains definitely don't come without a cost to those left behind. When house prices rise in real terms, we effectively see a transfer of wealth from future homeowners to present homeowners.
1: Does that mean there's a case for some sort of managed fall in house
0: prices? Well, some have certainly made that argument. Of course, it would be hard to find a policy that was more politically unpopular among homeowners, but there is a case to be made that it would be merely correcting for previous unearned gains, and would be an effective way to address unaffordable housing and the generational gap in property ownership. Those who bought homes at high prices more recently would obviously lose out, so there'd probably have to be some kind of mechanism to compensate that loss. I've also talked about the use of equity to supplement some retirement incomes, so government would have to look at other ways of ensuring secure retirement incomes. Anne Pettifor, the director of a network of Keynesian economists, has suggested that the issue of ultra-safe government bonds could be one such income source. She has warned, though, that depressing property prices would damage economic growth under our current growth model. So the way the economy generates growth would have to change before this could work? Yeah, because strong property prices bolster public confidence in the economy, and thus consumer spending. At the moment, consumer spending makes up two-thirds of the British economy. So a fall in house prices equals a fall in confidence, which equals damaged growth. Pettifor and others argue that the economy is too dependent on things like consumer spending, property speculation and high levels of debt, which make it vulnerable to shocks. It's also no good for productivity if money is being poured into speculative property investment instead of feeding the real economy. What's the alternative? Well, that we shift towards a model where growth is driven by increased production, making things, providing services, rather than debt and speculative investment in land, but that would call for government to invest in productive areas and focus on boosting skills needed to make that new productivity happen. If we deliberately undermine house prices before that happens, we're looking at a problem for the economy. Is
1: there anything else that could be done to tackle the generation
0: gap? Well, the other thing we could do is approach things from the other end. We could look at ways of taxing and redistributing housing wealth. Inheritance is one obvious route, but there are also options for reforming the outdated council tax system and calls to introduce a land value tax, which is an annual levy based on property values. We're going to come back to some of these options in more detail later in the series because they're worth looking at and have broader relevance to the way the property system works. Peter Saunders of think tank Civitas has suggested that one way of helping generation rent is to extend the right to buy scheme to the private sector such that private rental tenants could buy the house they're renting under certain conditions. There's also an important argument to be made, that we needn't necessarily look to ensure home ownership in order to provide people with secure and affordable homes, if there are ways of providing that stability and sustainability in either social or private rented sectors, or some combination of both. Again, these are important things that we're going to tackle in the forthcoming episodes. Thanks for listening to the Perspectives on Policy podcast from Elephant Policy Centre. Asking the questions that matter. Join us again soon.